You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Last week, uh, I said that last week and this week, uh, that we were going to speak into giving money and stewardship. I've been in the, the diary for several months. Obviously, in a week like the week we've just had, you question what's the wise thing to do. Should we bring a fresh word? And we just felt as a leadership that actually it's important. This is a marathon, not a sprint, what we're going into over the next few months. And actually, to stay on track, the Lord is not taken by surprise, is actually the right thing to do. And uh, today it was planned we would speak into the principle of first things. And actually, in a time like this, I think this is a really important message for us, that the first and the best things belong to God. And uh, God's principles don't change. You know, God's principles, they're not fair weather principles. God's principles are how to govern our life. You know, the, the best way to get through stormy waters is with Jesus in your boat And the best way to ensure you've got Jesus in your boat is to live according to godly principles and live according to His ways. And so uh, this message is received with the spirit with which it is intended to be a help and encouragement for us at this time, uh, as well as staying true to what we planned to bring. So uh, Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as we touched last week, we're aware that this can be an area of fear. It's also an area of our redemption. We spoke last week about the cup and the bucket and how we believe that in God, we were formed. In the fall, we were deformed. And in Christ, we're being transformed. And actually, there can be a wrestle over, for many of us over our lives in the area of finance. And it's part of our transformation into Christ. And one of the most important teachings I believe around giving is the principle of first things. And uh, this is an idea that runs right the way through the Bible from the beginning to the end, which is this, that the first and the best belong to God. I think really simply put, if we're going to say that He is Lord and He is God, then we should be bringing Him our best and not our leftovers. It makes sense, if nothing else, that if we're going to worship Him, but we're going to come before Him as God, that we bring Him our best. If He is God, hello? Does this make sense to, to anybody? It makes sense to me that if He's really my God, I, I love when I survey the wondrous cross. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. The response to God's greatness and His love for me is to give all, to bring first and best. And so this is a principle. The outworking of bringing the first and the best to God is across numbers of areas of our lives, our our time and our talents, but also our finance. And the biblical idea is of tithing uh, as a principle of bringing 10% of whatever might come into our hands to give to God, that it belongs to God. And because we can't give it to Him personally, we give it to His work and to His house And I'd like to run through why I believe that is a relevant principle for us as New Testament people. You know, I began tithing, as I said last week, if you were here when I was 19, I was a student, and saw the hand and favor of God. And over 30 years, we have been faithful week in, week out in bringing 10% as a starting point, the first and best. And we have seen God's provision. And I want to encourage any of you that are stepping out in this to stay true to it as an expression of being one of God's covenant people. And if you're yet to step out into this, I dare you to trust Him. 
Because something happens. This is about covenant. And we'll look at this in a moment. As his people, we had a series recently, Chosen, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to, belonging to God. And it says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And the people of God always brought their first and their best to God. And when they did, He opened the windows of heaven over their lives. And it's something of how we position ourselves for divine favor. And for 30 years now, as a student, when I was out of work, when I was paid below what would have been the minimum wage in those days, when our children were little and Esther was full-time mom, in church ministry, in marketplace jobs, in every season, God has provided. And God is faithful. And has shown himself faithful. The Hebrew word for tithe is massa. It simply means the tenth part. But of course, many of us, we can ask, well, really, as a New Testament person, as a believer in Jesus, is tithing relevant for me? Isn't it Old Testament? So I want to look today at, at why should I tithe and then how should I tithe? Why should I tithe firstly? I'd like to start in a key scripture from Malachi 3, and then we're going to back up. Malachi is right at the end of the Old Testament. Malachi 3 is two chapters away from the New Testament, but it's there, and it's inside the era of the law. And I understand that, but it's still the word of the Lord. And this is what it says, Malachi 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. I find that interesting. Start to this. And he says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. It, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is the era of the law. And in the law, the Lord has, has clearly spoken that Israel, God's people. So now we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. But in the Old Testament, God's people were the people of Israel. They were the Hebrews. And God had spoken clearly through the law that the whole nation was to tithe. There are many different places. A couple of key scriptures will be Exodus 23, 19. Bring the best of the first fruits of the soil to the house of the Lord your God. Leviticus 27, uh, verse 30. A tithe or a tenth, this massa of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Notice the word belongs. Can we all say belongs? It belongs to the Lord. So the Lord is saying the first tenth and the best of the first fruits, it's mine. It belongs to me. Bring it and then see what I will do as your God. But it's part of faith. It's part of trust. It's part of saying we are going to trust that you are God. And to bring this tenth, he says it's mine. Now, by the time we get to Malachi, the people of God have become lazy and ambivalent. They're bringing lame sheep to be sacrificed instead of the best. They're, they're, they're uh, reneging on tithes and offerings. And God says, you're robbing me and you're under a curse. He raises up the prophet Malachi to speak a word of restoration to God's people. He said, put this right and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. You'll see me acting as your God. But I'd like us to back up a little bit and understand three things. And the first is this, the principle of first things. 
So the principle that the first and the best belongs to him is seen before the law. I think this is really important for us to understand because otherwise we get really confused about, well, isn't this in the law? I'm a New Testament person. How does this work? Some of the ceremonial parts of the law which are fulfilled in Christ and are no longer needed, but something should they really carry? How, how does all this work? I want us to understand this principle exists before the law. It wasn't invented in the law. And I'm going to run quickly through a number of instances that you can see. Uh, in the Old Testament, the law comes in in Exodus 20. If you know your Bible, it's Genesis, Exodus, and by chapter 20, the law comes in. But before that is pre-law. Nothing has been set out as this is what you need to do. But we see things at work. Firstly, Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. But I want us to understand that on the sixth day, He created Adam and Eve. He made mankind male and female. So Adam and Eve's first day is the seventh day. And it's holy, it's unto the Lord. In other words, they're created on the first day before they get to do anything in the garden. It's a holy day that belongs to the Lord. Their first day belongs to God. It is a sacred day. It's an aside to the point I'm making, which is about this being pre-law, to say this, that in the, the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath was a holy day. And as God's people, we should still keep a Sabbath. It's why the Lord's Day is important. It's why our corporate worship is important. We were in an era when I was growing up in this nation where you couldn't trade on a Sunday because it was recognized in a Christian nation at that time or coming out of a Christian nation. I think we're a post-Christian nation now. But in those, in those days, you couldn't trade on a Sunday because it was the Lord's Day. And it was facilitated that the whole nation could go, should go to church to seek it and set it apart as a day for the Lord. And whatever is going on in our culture, this remains true. But here for Adam and Eve, their first and their best belongs to God. In Genesis chapter 4, we see Cain and Abel. The Bible says this, Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some. Notice that. Some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, which is the best, from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Bible says the Lord looked with favor on Abel. I want to understand Abel's offering was the best of the firstborn. And God didn't separate the offering from the offerer. And it says he looked with favor upon Abel and his offering. But with Cain and his offering, which was in the course of time, he bought some. He did something, but it wasn't the first and the best. He did not look with favor. Now the Lord then speaks to Cain and he speaks to him about it. He says, why are you downcast? If you do what is right, will you not experience the same favor? He says, but sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you. And it's another story. All of these stories are worth their own preach. But we notice here the first and the best belong to God. And it attracts the favor of God. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham meets Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is this character that pops up in this, this chapter. And we don't see him again. But it's believed by many to be a Christophany. In other words, an appearing of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It says that Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God. And he brought out the bread and the wine. He was king of Salem or Jerusalem. So this one comes out. He's the, the priest of the Most High God. He's the king of Jerusalem. And he brings out the bread and the wine. Hello. Is this, is this Christ appearing to Abraham? I, I think it is. And it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out the bread and the wine. He was priest of the Most High God. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham, 
by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And the Bible says, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything that he had. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that Melchizedek demands this. I, I could be overreading, but to me, it doesn't appear as though Melchizedek demands it. It's more that it is Abraham's innate response to meeting God. He encounters God and he wants to give the first and the best represented by a tenth of everything. We see a similar thing happen with Jacob uh, just a little bit later. But then in, in Genesis 22, Abraham is asked by God for his firstborn Isaac. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him as an offering. And God speaks to Abraham and says, Will you give me your first and your best, even your son? And Abraham shows himself willing at the last moment. The Lord intervenes and says, do not raise your hand against the boy. But seeing that I have seen, you were not unprepared to give to me your first and your best. I will bless you. And he speaks this incredible blessing over Abraham. Then in Genesis 28, Jacob encounters God at Bethel. And excuse me laboring the point, but I want to understand that the first and the best, these these instances show us this principle of the people of God bringing the first and the best to God and attracting the favor of God before the law. This principle is seen in Scripture. And here in Genesis 28, Jacob encounters God and he says, If God, if you'd be with me, if you'd watch over me, if you give me food and clothes, if you'll be my God, then I will give you a tenth of everything I have. And again, it seems like his innate response has said, if we can walk together, if you'll walk with me on this journey, if you'll be my God, I'll give you a tenth of everything. And then we see the blessing of God coming upon Jacob in incredible ways. Huge enlargement, huge expansion, the first and the best and the favor of God. And then in Exodus 13, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb, in Israel belongs to me, whether man or beast. And so here we see all these instances, those who love God, those who trust God, those who belong to God, those who worship God, bring their first and their best. It seems not because of any rules, but because it's the response to being those that belong to Him. And then the favor of God comes upon them. But the second thing I want us to see is the principle of first thing is articulated by the law. So when the law comes, it doesn't invent the principle, it articulates the principle. The principle is there, but the law comes, and they're not for the ones and the twos, not for the Abrams and the Jacobs, but for the whole nation. If you will do this, then my favor will be upon you. It's why God says then in Malachi, you're, you're robbing me, the whole nation, but if you bring the whole tithe into the store, I see if I will not. This is covenant relationship. And so the law articulates the principle for us and spells it out in some of the different ways that we've seen in Exodus 23, Leviticus 27. So in the era of the law, God's people go into the promised land and the first city is Jericho. And they get to the first city and it's really clear that the whole plunder from this first city belongs to the Lord. Bring everything from Jericho into the temple treasury is what the Bible says in Joshua 6. And thereafter, the plunder of the land is for the people. But the first city belongs to God. And one man, Achan, holds on to some stuff that he finds and doesn't give it to the Lord. And there's a whole drama that is created by that situation because the first and the best belong to God. And we see the Lord upholding this. But thirdly, this principle of first things is, is upheld by Jesus. 
It's upheld by Jesus. Jesus comes and he uses his language, I think, very carefully. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. Now, you might think, well, what on earth does that mean? Well, I believe he, he shows us what that means. This is Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount, 17 to 20. Do not think, Jesus says, that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice that last verse. Because we can think, well, isn't this law? But he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he sets out a new covenant for God's people that are found in Christ. And he goes on to illustrate this. Uh, and you'll know this if you know your Bible, know the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder. Now, now here, here's what's happening. There's a principle to love one another. And in the law, it's articulated as do not murder. And then Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, do not get angry with your brother. Do not say raka, which means you fool, to your brother. In other words, do not let the seed of murder into your heart. So what Jesus is saying here is, you, you've heard it said, do not, do not murder. That's the articulation of the principle. But really, to surpass the Pharisees, don't even get angry. Don't even let a seed of murder come into your heart. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Again, that, that marriage is sacred, that we should, as husbands and wives, keep ourselves for one another. You've, and the law says, therefore, do not commit adultery. But Jesus says, I tell you, do not have lust in your heart. Do not look at another woman. Do not look at another man. And Jesus, he, he, he brings the principle. He says, I've not come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. Let me show you what it really means. And so we see that, that what was once the ceiling, that like the law was the ceiling, it's now become the floor. And I believe Jesus comes to you say, well, how does this relate to substance? Well, I believe it all belongs to Him. Hello? I believe actually if, if I'm His, really it's all His. Jesus says, unless you give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. So, so really the fulfillment of the, of the principle is that it's all His. But there's a starting point. And you say, well, does Jesus spell that out? Well, yeah, he does. Later on in Matthew, same gospel, chapter 23, verse 23, he's encountering the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. He says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. But then notice this what he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You see what's happening here is the Pharisees, they've got the law to bring a tenth and they are so fastidious with the law, they're even tithing their spices. So you get a Mars bar and they're cutting a tenth off and they're putting it in the offering. Like a tenth of everything. He says, you're so fastidious over this and yet you've neglected justice and mercy and righteousness. 
But he doesn't say that the, the former doesn't matter anymore. He says you should have done the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, keep going with the principle of first things, but and some. And I believe this is how God wants us to position ourselves. When I became a Christian at the age of 17, I went down the front of the church and I surrendered my life to Christ. For six months, I had wrestled over this idea that Jesus is who he says he is and that it demanded my life. And at that time, I was... I was about to go to university and study law. I wanted to be a lawyer and work in London. And I I knew actually if I surrendered my life to Christ, I was saying whatever, wherever, whenever, that he had the ultimate call on my life. And I wasn't sure I wanted to put that in his hands until I had an epiphany and I understood the cross. I understood the sacrifice of Jesus, that this magnificent holy one laid down his, his whole life for me was bruised and beaten, that his blood was shed to redeem me and save me and bring me to the Father. And I remember I, I pushed out of my pew and I headed down the front. I gave my life to Christ. That day and I was saying, Lord, it's all yours. And then I had to work out, what does that mean? You see, it's easy to sing, I surrender all. And it took me a couple of years to come to a place of, well, as a starting point, maybe I should tithe. As a starting point, but really, Lord, it's all yours. But it's easy to say it's all yours and actually do nothing. But to start where the law left off, to let what was the ceiling become the floor. And actually, the Lord has brought me so many times to a place of re-surrender of my life. It's so easy to, to say, to sing, I surrender all. And really, we live, I surrender some. Or... or, or I don't actually surrender very much. (laughs) Or I'm struggling to surrender anything at all. I remember about 10 years after I'd made that commitment in that church, I was working full-time in in church ministry, and I'd I'd not stayed as a part of that congregation where I'd become a Christian, but it had a special memory for me, that church. And I remember uh, in the city of Nottingham where, where that was, driving near that church and seeing the spire on a Friday afternoon and, and thinking, oh, I'd love to go back in there. I remember I, I drove up and I knocked on the vicarage door and uh, there was no one in. And then I found some ladies in the church hall and I said, oh, hello. I said, I'm a, my name's Martin. I'm a, I'm a minister in, in another church in the city. I said, but I became a Christian here in this church. I said, I don't suppose you'd, you'd let me in, would you? And they were very trusting. They let me into the church. And I went and I found the pew where I'd been in on the day that I'd given my life to Christ. And I went and I sat in it with no one else in that building. And then I stood out and I walked down the front and I gave my life to Christ all over again. But you know, it was so much easier second time around. And I'll tell you why, because actually of 10 years of trusting him, I'd seen him so faithful. I'd seen him so good. Stepping out and things like tithing and seeing his provision and his grace and his goodness. Knowing that he's real, knowing that he is who he says he is. And if I position myself as a covenant person, he will be my covenant God. That actually if I bring the little that I have, he brings the everything that he has and makes it available to me. That my times are safer in his hands than in my own hands. That God can do more with my 90% than I can do with my 100%. Because he is God and he can open the windows of heaven over my life. I encourage you to trust him. Why? Should we tithe? Well, the principle of first things, that the first and the best belong to God. 
It exists throughout the Bible. It's before the law, articulated in the law and upheld by Jesus. But how, how should I tithe? Well, what do I mean by that? Well, firstly, with integrity or integrity of heart, because some people say, well, well, what does it look like? What does it mean? How do I have to do it? Do I have to tithe on birthday presents? If, you know, should I tithe gross? Should I tithe net? Can I split it between different charities? I want to say to you, do whatever you feel you need to do. I'm not going to teach a certain way or say the Bible says storehouse and therefore it means this. I, I just know with integrity of heart, there's a principle of first things that the first and best belong to God and His people. We should activate that in our lives. I'll tell you what, what we do, Esther and myself as a couple, what we practice for the best part of 30 years. But you need to do whatever you need to do. For us, we, we've always tithed gross. Now, if you don't understand that question, if you're a taxpayer then you will, you'll get a gross salary. So let's say you earn 100 pounds. But if you're an employee, the tax man gets his hands on it before you see anything of it. Hello? Yeah. I'm not speaking to anybody here today. <laughs> so like, it might say 100 pounds, but you might only see 70 of it because after national insurance and income tax, it's got or 75 or something. So the question is, well, should I tithe on the seven and a half like on, on, on the 75 or on the 100, should it be 10 pounds or 7 pounds? I don't say, do whatever you feel you need to do. But we've, I won't go to war with you over this, but we've always tithed gross. And the reason is this, is because it's the first things that belong to the Lord. And if I could get my hands on my money before the tax man did, the first payment would be to the Lord because it's the first and the best. And the other thing is, I don't think there's been a season of our lives where we've tithed out of an excess. It's always been part of our faith. So I'm not going to quibble over a bit because I'm in the hands of God. But that's for us. We also, we've always, we've always tithed into the local church and given offerings over and above elsewhere because we believe that, that God's way of bringing his kingdom in the earth, his plan is through the church. That in the Old Testament was to bring the tithe into the storehouse and the storehouse, it, it went for for the, the care of the Levites who were running and bringing the kingdom of God, establishing the kingdom of God. I believe that representation is the church. If you look in the New Testament, people sold things, they had offerings, and they brought them and they laid them, the phrases in Acts, to the, at the apostles' feet. They brought it to the leaders and it was the leader's responsibility before God to steward that. And you can say, well, that's easy for you to say because you are the leader, but I want to tell you, when we weren't the leader, that's what we did. And when we're no longer the leader, that's what we'll do. And there's something actually good about saying, I'm going to bring this. But we believe that God is bringing his kingdom in the earth through local church. And so we bring it as an offering, as, as before the Lord, as what belongs to God. And, and invest it into the local church and believe that if it's well stewarded, it, it will see the transformation of many lives. And for this moment, the, the team here put together a little video of something, a snapshot of us as CLM. You could be asking, well, where does my tithe go? Well, I hope you capture a little bit of what we are as a church and what God is doing here in the city at this time. So sit back and watch this. When we came here to Coventry just under eight years ago, we came purely because of this church and a clear sense that the Lord was asking us to come and calling us to be a part of something that He was doing. And we didn't know how all that was going to unfold. We, I guess we had a dream in our hearts, but there were no guarantees. But we knew this, that He would want to reach lost people because He always does. And that if we just somehow could make room, He would transform lives because that's what He's in the business of doing. 
We know that every church that's healthy and fruitful is, is a house of prayer, is powered by prayer and founded on prayer. So we've always wanted to be a prayerful church, but it's been such a joy and encouragement for us in the last six months to see a real, a real shift in gear actually in prayer in the life of the church and CLM, in our attitude, in our depth and in our stamina. And it also has remained just a real privilege to be a catalyst for United Prayer in the city. We've never wavered in our conviction that church is family, that, that people thrive when they belong, when they're connected, when they're in Christ-centered community, where they're in a place where they can love and be loved. And this is God's house, it's His body, it's His plan, and it's been such a joy to see across all our ages and ministries this sense of connectedness and people belonging to one another. One of the greatest privileges as pastors is seeing people get touched by God and they encounter His presence and then they grow and they mature and they develop. And then also seeing ministries develop and give opportunity for others to grow spiritually. It's such a joy to see God at work and to see people stepping up, serving and leading so that they then are impacting and inspiring others for God. It's just amazing. Definitely one thing we didn't see coming was what God was going to do through our vision offerings over the last three years or so, over and above the regular faithful giving of God's people. It's been such a miracle. Um, but so much more than the mortgage coming down, what that has enabled us to do has been to strengthen and sustain our ministries and build a staff team and leadership, which was so critical. And then in the last year or two, to see us really step forward missionally and fulfill his mandate to be a missional church, to partner with other churches in the city, to feel like we're beginning to impact the city and begin to be able to dream towards genuine city transformation. In the last year, we've launched The Six, which has been so much more than a service. It followed a season of praying and seeking God and really sensing that He was leading us. There was a conviction that He was leading us to launch this service. Not just to make room for more people because our morning services were pretty much full, but also to make a space for people who didn't yet know Jesus and to make Jesus accessible and to have created a space where people have come and they have got saved and they've also encountered the love and the power of Jesus through words of knowledge and through healings has been so exciting. And so if we look at what God has done in the last few years it's really exciting to look ahead and wonder what he might do. We have this clear sense that what he sees is way beyond anything we've yet seen. We're just trying to keep in step with him. But even this year, we're so excited about our missions weekend and open heaven, prayer walking every street in June, the higher tour coming to our schools in the autumn and getting our feet established in Lebanon. We know God wants to do something so amazing here in this city that the only person that can get the glory is him. And that's our inspiration, that's our conviction, that's our belief, that's our prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come. There's nothing that I got
You know, the truth is we, we might have a few weeks ahead of us which are a little bit disrupted and we're not sure exactly what that looks like. But I know we're going to come through this as a nation and as a church and God will still be on his throne and his mission will still be the mission and the church will be strong and everything that we're on with will be on full tilt. And so just I ask you to continue to be prayerful. And uh, so how should I tithe? Well, with integrity of heart. Uh, secondly, with consistency and I want to say this, you know, maybe you began one time and, and have stumbled or faltered. Uh, maybe you joined Salem recently and haven't got round to it. You know, somebody once said to me, I need to do a bit of tithing. Let me tell you, you can't do a bit of tithing. Uh, you know, if you, if you tithe one month and then miss the next month, 10% becomes 5%, and after 10 months, it's 1%, and it's not a tithe. And actually, the consistency, this is part of our faith. Because actually, if we, if we tithe when we feel we can afford it, it's not faith. It's in those months where it's challenging, actually, that it matters the most. And in those moments, I'm saying, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I'm going to let you be Jehovah Jireh over my life. This, this uh, phrase in Malachi, bring the whole tithe. That's interesting. He doesn't just say bring the tithe. Bring the, the whole tithe. The Hebrew word kol, it means in totality, everything entirely with nothing missing. And maybe a good time to say, you know, if, if we see disruption uh, here uh, in our services, you know, for Esther and myself, we're old school. We like to put a check in the offering, but uh, we'll give online. We'll do whatever we need to do. Many of you do that anyway, set up standing orders. We'll adjust so that we can continue to be consistent in our giving. It's also, it's within our hearts that if through this season that we're entering into, there are those in the congregation that have greater need financially, that we could massively increase our hardship fund and help administrate that. But it requires the rest of us to be consistent in our giving. I wonder if the band would come and join me. You know, most of all, uh, I'd say this, how do we tithe with faith? With faith. You know, first things never made sense to the offerer other than to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. It doesn't make sense to give the firstborn. It makes sense in a way to give the tenth born, but to give the firstborn when you've not had any more born, when you've not had a second born, it's a point of faith. It was always a point of faith. And for us as the people of God, uh, it should be a point of faith. We should be able to come and say, Lord, I'm, you know, the number of times when, when we've put into the pot, you know, there's something for us we just like doing that, to say, Lord, we are trusting you. And I want to tell you, over 30 years of seeing the faithfulness of God, times where we've, we'd have bills to pay that we couldn't pay, and then as we've been faithful in tithing, an envelope has come through our door, a bit like Gabriel shared, where people didn't know about our need, but God knew about our need and provoked somebody to do something, and in some way He provided. We have got 30 years of stories of the faithfulness of God, and I know so many others have as well. I want to encourage you, if you've never dared to trust God in this area, to step out and to trust Him. But to do it with faith, not, not with a sense of through gritted teeth, but to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to let you be God over these areas of my life. And we've seen God's provision, His goodness, His kindness. In the buying of properties, in the provision of cars, sometimes the, just His goodness and overflow. Some of you know a story from a few years ago where we, the Lord provided an incredible holiday for us as a family. It was way beyond anything we would have ever envisaged. The goodness of God. And in challenging times, and I'll finish with, with one story. When I was in my mid-20s, we were due to be married and I'd been working for a church and that came to an end and I was without a job and I needed a job. And I was looking for work. I was trying to get work. I was applying for stuff. And a prophetic word came to my life 
from Isaiah 41 says, But you, O worm Jacob, you, O little Israel, do not be afraid, do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord. And remember in my little flat, being down on my knees saying, God, you promised to help me. I need you to help me. I remember getting up from that time of prayer and I noticed a, an advert for a job that I hadn't noticed before. And it was for, it was a job, if I'm honest, I didn't want that much, but it was for a global company. And hey, I needed something. And something's better than nothing, hello. And so I remember I applied for this thing and I actually, I, I met a recruitment consultant and he, he looked at my CV and talked to me. He said, really, you, you can do better than this. And I, I said, look, I'll be honest, I need a job. And he said, well, if you want me to put you through, I'll put you through. And he put me through. And I remember sitting outside this interview about three weeks later. I didn't even know who the company was at that time, but they put me in for a job I didn't actually want that much. But I did my best. And I remember I came out and I got a phone call that night from the consultant. And he said, do you want the good news or the bad news? I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, the bad news is they don't want you for the job you went for. But he said, the strange thing is, two people interviewed you today. One would have been your manager. The other was the human resources, should have been the human resources manager, but she was off sick. And so her boss's boss's boss stepped in because she was the only person available. And that was the vice president of human resources for the European division of the company. And she said that she thinks they want you on their management fast track scheme, which required a business degree that I didn't have, a first or a two one, and two years work experience in business. And I've been working for a church. And he said, they want to look at you over a day. But if they are who she thinks you are, then they're going to offer you the job. And I said, but what happens if I don't cut the mustard on the day? Can I still do the other job? He said, no, you've blown that one. And I went and I went on this day and they offered me the job and it was significantly more money than the job I'd gone for. It had a fully expensed company car and share options and ability to get promoted. I want to say the Lord helped. I myself will help you, declares the Lord. You know, and, I, and here's the strange thing, the, the job that I was going for that I didn't want, it was because they thought they were going to win a big contract that they never even won and they didn't actually recruit anyone for that. But I myself will help you, declares the Lord. But in being faithful of bringing my little tithe, even on job seekers allowance and saying, Lord, I'm doing this not because I've got an abundance, but because you are my God. And I'd rather have your hand on my life than my own hand on my life. And I want to encourage us, even in this season that we're in, I'm not twisting arms around giving, that the first and the best belong to the Lord. That in our prayer, in our, our time before the Lord as worshippers, that we're going to set in place, that we're all aware the next few weeks and months are going to look a little bit different. We say the first and the best belong to God. We're going to set ourselves the series at the start of the year, teach us to pray. There are some great prayers. Get your little bookmark out. It's time to pray through Psalm 23. It's, it's time to pray through the tabernacle. It's time to pray the prayer of Jabez. This came out in Luke's prayer. There is a world around us that is looking for hope and a different voice. God says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But He is God of the heavens. And I believe as, as only He can, He's going to work even through this season. But as the people of God, let's live as the people of God.